then pointed the fucking shotgun at us because we were all like standing here, you know. And it's got a hairpin trigger, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you ever shot an old school 12 gauge like Remington, but if with the safeties off, it doesn't take much pressure for that gun to go off. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bad Times Good Stories Podcast. My name is Joe Flanders. I hope you are having an exquisite week. The dog needs to go to the bathroom, so I'm going to open the damn door for her. She couldn't just wait an extra 30 seconds. Uh, I know that I'm having a great week because I got to talk with one of my favorite people, Sean Kama. He, uh, he's pretty much a mainstay in the, um, the horror movie world and tattoos and rock and roll. He's a great guy. He travels the country going to, to horror movie and, and tattoo conventions. Um, he tattoos a lot out of Vegas. He's tattooed people I know. Uh, just a really, a very talented, but more importantly, a very sweet and earnest person. And um, it was really great talking with him. We talk about some of his uh, frustrations as a young kid going to uh, a uh, private religious school which includes Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and eating the body of Christ. We also talk about his frustrations working for the man uh, as a busboy and the uh, one event that led to him quitting that job. And then lastly, stick around till the end because uh, we talk about sort of his early days in the tattoo world and uh, it's pretty fucking crazy. It involves a drugged out guy running the tattoo shop, shotguns, and uh, I'll leave it at that. So yeah, stick around till the end, because it's, it's, it's a hell of a story. Anyway, if you like the episode, please give me that five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you watch the show on YouTube, let me know what you think um, in the comments. And uh, you, as always, you can check out badtimesgoodstoriespod.com for past episodes, merch, and a link to the Patreon page. Big shout out to the patrons. I really, really uh, appreciate you guys throwing your support my way. Um, and lastly, you can email me at badtimesgoodstoriespodcast at gmail.com. That's all I've got for now, so without further ado, here's my conversation with Sean Kama. What happens in my head, just like you, yeah. um, sometimes comes out of my mouth sure. before like, it's ever edited. Yes. So I have to watch out for that. I love your sense of humor in that regard because it's super dry and it's super cynical. Yes. And But it's also cerebral. Yes. Which makes me think that you would be great at stand-up. I mean, you know, even just like your, your vibe, like, I mean, yeah. your character and your aesthetic yeah. and your demeanor. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, sure. it, I think it lends for a comedian. Thank you. I mean, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm starting to write material for... I've never done it, yeah. stand-up. Oh, sure. And I, I may shoot a special called My First Time and actually just film my first time, and it'd be an hour long. Oh, my God. That would be fucking amazing. In a lot of ways, it's a terrible idea because it, it takes years, and I realize I'm slapping the face of like every comedian who's like, oh, you got to put in the time to have an hour. But I, it could be a nightmare or it could be really interesting. you know. Yeah, and I would totally. keep all the... like. Jokes that don't get laughs and just the pauses in between. Yeah, um, I so think I am thinking about idea. it. I, I yeah. just think you'd be really great at it. Thank um, you. When I was thinking about it, you know, you've I've known you for probably seven or eight years now. Yeah, I would guess. It and is. I generally see you in you know Andy shows or over at his apartment a couple times. Uh, my cousin and. You're just always a beacon of light who I enjoy talking with. Really? Yes, particularly in that so. world. Where, you know, backstage, there's just, there's a lot of, particularly at like um, uh, uh, Warp Tour or something like that, where there's a lot of different people you're interacting with, bands and stuff. Sure. And I get there's a seriousness because if they're about to go on stage or whatever, but I just never know how to talk to any of these people. I get it. Yeah, and, I know. And that's why I've always really enjoyed the fact when I see you, I'm like, oh, Sean's here. Great. Well, I can I... just have a normal conversation. I can have some laughs. And, you know, I never feel... Like, oh, I shouldn't say this or that or anyway. So you're, listen, you're never being judged. Right. You know, but exactly. I mean, yeah. I, I love your irreverency, you know, like, yeah. I, like I had mentioned previously. So sure. like, I, I guess like it's reciprocated in that regard. Cool. Absolutely. And, and it is like a little bit of it's like a, I know that if you're there, 
I got somebody who's realistic and fucking funny and smart to talk to, and it makes my world, like, I'm just less introverted. Because I really am an introvert, i got to be honest with you, and I, you probably are a little bit too. Yeah, I am. I just have to be extroverted because it doesn't work in business if you're not. No, exactly. When you you're know? running your own stuff, as we both are, yeah, you gotta be, you got to be extroverted. It's funny, like, here, and, like, I'm, I'm in Vegas now, and there is everything to do all the time. Right. And I do none of it. <laughs> right. None of it, everybody. I don't do shit. I mean, I do things that I want to do and I have to do and events that I'm putting on and all this kind of stuff. I got some stuff coming up. But, you know, I mean, probably much like yourself, I'd, I'd much prefer to, like, hang out with my wife and my right. two dogs in our comfortable fucking house and enjoy my backyard and uh, only be around a few people that I really care about when I, you know, when the time comes. Right. I'm sure you've probably also um, corralled your what you would consider friends yes. circle it's is, about six people it, <laughs> yeah this is tight it's getting tighter and tighter yeah, right yeah. just yeah very very yeah, tight yeah. yeah exactly three inch parameters now um but so is that something again i just feel like you're such a genuine person thank you um is that something that just comes naturally to you? Are you aware of the fact that this is pro what I'm saying is probably how most people feel when they see you? No. I'm not, um, I'm, not I'm not aware of it on a regular basis because it's hard to see the forest for the trees. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, just but recently I had a close friend tell me something similar because I was and I'm not going to get dark on this or anything or sad, but I was telling him that this a friend of mine who passed away was a very introverted individual. Yeah. A girl. Mm -hmm. And um, and she was one of these people that wasn't a very popular person uh, based on like her her vibe. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she's the sweetest, most loving person ever and a huge proponent of anything that I ever did, right? Yeah. Well, she recently passed away and what I was trying to tell him when we were talking about it was that I wanted to make her feel that I saw her. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. who she really is. Right. And I cared about who she is for right. real um, and, and not a surfacey way. And right. then he, re he retorted with something similar to what you said. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, that's good. It's a great thing. I mean, I... And I have certainly, because I'm introverted, naturally, I've had to work on my people skills and um, over decades. Sure. And you just get better with that. Right. You know? Yeah. And at the same time, you work on your vocabulary. And working on your vocabulary always helps you to interact with people just the way experiences do. Mm -hmm. You know? So yeah. if you can find common ground with individuals because of your experiences, I found if you can interject that into conversation, they feel more comfortable and you end up having this vibe right that's exactly. just and it's just a natural thing i suppose okay so so when i asked you as i ask every guest if a couple stories that, that come to mind that would fit the tone of this you have two um <laughs> i have a lot but, but I, i'm not, sure yeah. but yeah these two are maybe the first that came into your head or kind of you know sure. i mean listen it is just so people at home so you know it is friday the 13th and we have a full moon tonight, yeah. which is an anomaly. Like, I think it happened in 2000 before. And the next time it's going to happen is 2049. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So this is going to be interesting for me because if I'm still alive right. in 2049, which is, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> it's quite some time. And, you know, I'll probably be, be like on my last days probably. But um, it'd be interesting to reflect on this day. Right. And the things that happened this day. Yeah. 49 years from now if i'm still fucking on this planet right yeah so i like that idea so sure. everybody at home this is a special special thing and there's <laughs> no better day for me to be doing this with you with the exception of halloween itself i right. think yeah. than friday the 13th with the <laughs> yeah. full moon and joe yeah. so i'm here that's why i was like We're dude here? we gotta do it on friday the yeah. 13th it's gotta gotta gotta, gotta be, be today <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah um okay so so uh you grew up going to uh catholic school well you know I didn't grow up going to Catholic school, but when my mom went to the, we, we were living in Costa Mesa when I was a really little kid. We moved to the East Coast because she was going to uh, medical school, and that's where she was. That's where it was, and her family was from there. So I lived on the East Coast for about four years. I think, where specifically? Like I was living in Albany. Oh, okay, at New York. The time, yeah, yeah. Upstate, upstate New York, right? Yeah. yeah, and I would spend a lot of times in New Jersey and Massachusetts and stuff. So I had family there and shit. And how old were you at this time? I, I want to say five or six. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I, I can't remember exactly what year. It's I'm throwing kind of dates around. It's kind of arbitrary. But yeah. anyways, around five or six years old, um, in the area that we were living in, you know, my mom didn't have a lot of money and she's a single mom working her ass off and going to school, right? So she wanted to put me in a school that didn't suck, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so she worked her ass off to be able to afford this private school. But for me, it was like the most 
atrocious, atrocious situation ever because, like, you know, you had to wear uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, there was nuns and priests. Right. I mean, I remember that they weren't going to let me go to Catholic school because I actually wasn't Catholic. Uh-huh. And oh no, that's not actually. Let me let me digress. What it was is they weren't going to let me be involved with communion because I hadn't dedicated myself to the Catholic faith at six years old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And my mom was like, are you fucking kidding me? You're going to exclude him from this thing that everybody's doing and feel isolated because he hasn't like embraced your fucking faith at five or six years old. You know, and when I went to meet the priest, I just remember like thinking how much like the because I did see the exorcist pretty early on. So, so you'd seen it at five or six? I had seen it then already. You know, I was fortunate enough. Like it didn't fuck me up. I was already. That's impressive it. that it didn't. Uh, it was scary. <laughs> yeah. I fucking yeah. Uh, that's a whole other story. Sure. But we're getting yeah. off track here. But um. So yeah, you know, it was for for those couple years that I was in New York. I went to this private school, and the story basically is like the end of my stint at that private school before we met moved back to California, and I you know have never moved out of California sure. since. Essentially, you know. Yeah. Um, and so the story, it goes like this, um, typical Catholic school people. I mean, if, if you know, there's nuns walking around and when they walk by you, they're kind of like floating by always. Right. Floating they nun. don't really, yep. yeah, they don't really walk. And, um, I remember, uh, this one particular day, uh, it was a free dress day. They had mm-hmm. like a free dress day on Fridays. You could wear whatever you wanted. Sure. Right? So I, I went to school in a little shirt that said vampire. Okay. Yeah. And it was the shirt, it, you know, it's just a simple shirt. It had a big daddy Roth kind of image of a Dracula, like on a gear shift. You yeah. know what I mean? With his head outside the window of a boogie van in the seventies. Like it wasn't offensive. Sure. But when I got to school and it was, the, and this particular day was like a fun day cause it was free dress day. And we were also going to get a chance to go to the auditorium and see Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory with the Gene Wilder one. Sure. Just to be fucking clear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously uh, th- later on in that afternoon so we were all looking forward to that that's like the coolest thing ever it was, it was just an all school movie everybody yeah was everybody goes it. it was the first time that I was ever going to see Willy Wonka I don't want to halt your story yeah. but I recently was thinking about it with Karina that Grandpa Joe was a piece of shit oh, he was a God. lazy asshole who was in bed for <laughs> 10 years and then as soon as there's a golden ticket, he's doing a jig, he's dancing around, he's hopping out of bed. Without a doubt. What an opportunist bastard. Right? Yeah. What about Charlie's parents? Who's, I'm sure they're like, you know, he's, he hasn't gotten out of bed in 10 years. There's a bedpan involved. Oh, he's got bed sores, too. Oh, uh, yeah. His I mean, ass is just red and pussy. But can you imagine, the, what was the mom thinking in that scenario after shoveling his shit for 10 years? And then he just, and then he just and goes out. Why didn't the mom get to go? She was far more deserving. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Or, the, or his dad, who was yeah. just like, you know, busting Either. his ass every fucking day. After, yeah. What was he, a chimney sweep or some shit? Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, everybody yeah, all these old men laying then. in beds, or old people in general, not doing a damn thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, anyway, I, I, you're absolutely right, though. I think that's a valid point, And I think we need to dive into that deeper. Right? And yeah, and look at like... Yeah, look at chronicling of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, we Need digress. Say, I, always, <laughs> always jump in with things like that. Always. Yes, yes. So anyway, so I've, I was already getting shit for that. Now they wanted me, they wanted to send me home. And, and you were I, like eight or nine at this point? Oh no, dude, five or six. Oh, I thought this was the end of your three years there. Uh, no, I mean like that's about the, it, it was, but I was around five, six, oh, okay, seven okay. years old during okay. the whole duration. Oh, of I got thing, you, I got you, know? gotcha, gotcha. And uh so they wanted to send me home for this vampire shirt, you know, but my mom, you know, she's at the fucking work in the hospital. There's no way that she could get and make all this stuff happen. So they made concessions. So they were already pissed off at me for wearing this vampire shirt, which was my favorite shirt at the time. And uh, so they were going to they told me that I couldn't go watch the fucking film. And I was super pissed. And my mom laid into him again. It was like, this is fucking bullshit. I'm paying money. You fucking you're not going to isolate him like you're going to try to do with the religion thing. So they let me go to the film. And all I did was just exacerbate the situation further. Yeah. So from the shirt, it metastasized into as I, every couple days or so, or a week or so, I can't remember the duration, at this particular Catholic school, they had a kitchen. And they would bake body of Christ's. <laughs> Okay. okay, and for people at home, body of Christ is a little wafer that you get when you go do communion. They do the holy water thing, and you walk in the church, you do that. Right. And, and when you go to communion, they ask you to say a bunch of religious things and agree to things, and they put a little wafer on your tongue. Now, generally, that wafer is like this weird, like bland-tasting, flat, white cracker right. thing that's just kind of fucking gross. Yep. These were delicious, man. They, they were like little pitas, like, you know, <laughs> about the same size of the cracker, about yeah. that big. Um, 
And they were like honey, like wheat, little puffy, delicious things, right? So they smelled good. And so they had us in a line, and we were walking to the auditorium to go see Willy Wonka. And I hit up my buddy, who I can't remember his name, and, and we were like, let's like ditch the line and go into the kitchen. You know, and these are traditional kitchen doors that you know, do this Swinging. kind of thing with yeah. circles. Right, you right, know, right. This kind of thing. Yeah. So the nuns were in the front, and we were just walking along. So we fucking bolted out of line. No one said shit. We went into the kitchen, and there was, at least in my mind's eye, like an endless supply of delicious wafers there for us. <laughs> so we proceeded to eat them. Yeah, eat like, the body of Christ. We ate yeah. so much. We ate like multiple racks. Like there was like big <laughs> cooling trays. I must have eaten most of the body of Christ. You know, like two thirds of Christ's body I ate. And the other dude ate the, at least the other third. And then we got caught. Uh-huh. Oh, dude. I can't even tell you like how disgruntled they were. I and bet. Just, they were like, be, they couldn't believe that the kid in the vampire shirt just ate like most of Christ's <laughs> body. Um, Probably thinking you're, you're tempted by the devil and all sorts. <laughs> you should have said, it. the devil made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I said at that point, man. You know, um, but they threatened to, to send me, not only were they going to take me to the principal, but they, they were going to have me be yelled at by this music teacher named Mr. Penguin. Which I don't know why they were gonna they were gonna bring me to him, but that was, was like, not his real name, was it? His last name was Penguin. Oh my god! I remember it too. Like you know, I mean, how do you forget uh, something like that? Oh no, yeah, you wouldn't. Okay, so let me just give you. Mr. Penguin was a fucking crazy asshole, <laughs> and these are kids, five, six, seven right. years old. Yeah. If you talked in class, he had a tambourine that had the um, the uh, membrane. Mm -hmm. taken off of it, you yeah. know? And so it was just these small little, like, kind of tacks that were sticking up. Oh, God. And he would throw that at you across the room. Oh, my God. You this is Catholic school, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and this is, like, a long time ago, too. So right. you could probably get away with a lot more stuff. There was no cameras. There was no internet. So you could kind of do whatever you wanted. I mean, they would paddle you. Sure. You know yeah. what I mean? They yeah. would do things like that. They would right. hit your knuckles, like, in old school days. Yeah. But they, would, they still had the authority to hit you with a fucking plank on the ass, which is... God, when it's a male priest doing it, yeah, it's super creepy. Yeah. So I never had to get the wrath of Mr. Penguin. <laughs> what happened was that they were just so mortified by everything that we did, and right. you know, and they came down on us and they told us how awful it was, and it didn't sink in. I didn't care. I got to be honest. I, I, if I had to do it again, I would totally do it oh, again. Oh, sure. I don't fuck. I just didn't care. Um, and uh, so then we, they, they proceeded to say, okay, well, we're very disappointed in you. Um, I can't remember. I, I don't recall any repercussions from my mom at all. Right. You know what I mean? And obviously she was, you know, aware of what was happening to a certain degree. She I, probably I wasn't guess. thrilled. But, she probably wasn't know. thrilled, but she also <laughs> fucking thought they were a little bit shitty. Oh, know? yeah. Sure. Kinda, and uh, based on everything that was kind of happening. And um, so, you know, what ended up happening is I watched Willy Wonka. <laughs> did I, Nothing ever happened to me. I ate everything I wanted. I did what I wanted to do. I watched Willy Wonka. I left. And fucking within like just a, within a month or so, I was back in California <laughs> with a full belly of Christ. <laughs> and so that was cool. You know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't embarrassing or anything like that, but I just right. thought it was an interesting story as a kid. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and to be that age, so you, you know, you've, you, you basically, it seems to me, had the aesthetic you have now as a five-year-old. Uh, maybe to not a degree. the aesthetic, but my head was Right. Insane. You were already kind of, of living that punk rock life. A little bit, so. you know. Yeah. Yeah, so where did bit. that was that something? Did your mom also to just to be five and have that kind of a fun shirt? Yeah, you know where did that come from? Well, my mom was really cool as far as that goes. You know, I mean, she knew that my like love for horror and strange things wasn't like well. Maybe at that point, she wasn't sure if it was psychotic yet, because right. she's probably still trying to figure out her kid a little bit. But she, you know, she knew I was a nice person as sure. a whole. You yeah. know, she's your fucking mom. She knows like kind of my vibe. So um, I think that she just thought it was innocent, you yeah. know, for the most part. I did always draw monsters. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you people at home have ever heard this before, but when I, I, lived, when I was living in Costa Mesa before I had moved to Albany and this story happened, excuse me, I was four, three or four, and I went to my first movie with my mom it was a little theater in costa mesa and they were showing um a double feature mm -hmm. it was the original creature from the black lagoon in 3d with with the glasses yeah you know so yeah. then when you turn around and you look at people and everybody's got those shades <laughs> on it's kind of a cool <laughs> yeah. vibe you yeah know? yeah yeah um and the legend of bigfoot the 70s version oh, wow you know yeah. Guy on the horse, you know, we saw him from a distance that kind of thing yeah yeah and it seemed so amazing and um those were the first films that i saw and it really 
And I saw Mighty Joe Young on TV before that, like, um, you know, all those kind of horror films and stuff. I saw those movies and it made a huge impact on me. And so all I was ever drawing was monsters. And you can imagine your teachers trying to be diligent with their kids in their classes. And on many, many occasions over the years, teachers have been like, talking to my mom and just making sure that I wasn't a total fucking sociopath sure. underneath all this. Sure. Because all he's doing is drawing monsters and bloody people. And right. then when American Werewolf in London came out, oh, I was yeah. drawing like Nazi werewolves on tanks. <laughs> Not because I'm a fascist or anything, just right. because like, uh, you know, uh, Rick Baker did such an amazing job on those werewolves and shit. I was totally intrigued right. by it. So, you know, I mean. And you with, can see where teachers might want to raise that to your mom's well, attention. You, you know, you're like eight years old, drawn <laughs> Nazi werewolves or whatever. Just, like, just to make sure you're aware of this, uh, this is happening. <laughs> totally, man. You know, and I would draw cartoons and lampoons of things like that and stuff, too. Uh, as I got older and I wasn't paying attention in class, I would create like a whole mural on my desk in pencil, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And then when the next guy came and they put their arm on it, they had like graphite all down there <laughs> until the, finally the teachers were like, you can't illustrate your desk anymore with pencil <laughs> you know i was constantly doing that as opposed to like listening to whatever what do you think it was that. about horror movies that at such a young age had that effect on you because like when i'm thinking about what i was watching when i was four or five disney cartoons through oh, and through too, oh you love them too i okay. love were you drawn to the villains in them or? all of them yeah but yeah. i just love anything magical at that age okay sure you know, yeah I, mean, like I was like into people. dungeons yeah. and dragons when yeah. i was at a certain point you right know what i mean like yeah so i was like a nerd in that i mean <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, I guess so. You know, but like nerd nowadays is awesome. Oh, well, sure. You know yeah. what I mean? Nerds not, are running the world. They <laughs> certainly are, yeah. So it was, I was a little nerdy, you know, in that regard of like liking those kind of things. I also liked the anime. You know, I was big into the Shogun sure. Warriors and all that kind of stuff back then, too. It was just kind of like, it was just kind of emerging in the United States then. You know, this, this was seriously a long time ago, guys. Right. <laughs> yeah, what, what was this, like late 70s? This is the, yeah, late 70s. Okay. Exactly. Well, and that's the thing. Now all this is just commonplace, but yeah. because of this, were you, were, was it hard to find people who shared this? I mean, you know, did I you? I was totally like outcast in that. I mean, I tried to, not like outcast bombs over Baghdad, but outcast <laughs> in terms of an individual not really connecting with people um, on all pistons yeah because you know you're pretty unique at a yeah. young age um and uh you know other kids just didn't really get it you know i remember one time like just to go into a quick story i collected all these like really great like spiders in this jar and made like a little terrarium for them yeah. and stuff and then i went to show these kids in the neighborhood that what i had and they took it and they threw it on the ground and fucking bashed it and then kicked me in the stomach you know what I mean? So and that's so that, what you were dealing with. That goes, well, it, to some degree, yeah. you know, but then I also had friends. I mean, because yeah. I was even then like personable. So it wasn't as if I was like a super loner. Right. It's just it, like, I don't know that I ever really, honestly, too, like when I even look back on high school, there is a few people that I really connected with and I knew something about them. But I think the greater number of people in high school, even the ones that would consider me a friend. Yeah. I don't really know anything about. Sure. Yeah. At I mean, all. Like, I mean, I don't, I mean, and it's not someone, they're not people, it's, it's nothing disparaging towards anybody. It's no. just that when you look back, like it, when, when I base like what, what a friendship is now, like there wasn't that many friendships then they were just like kinships or mm like strong acquaintances. Right. Does well, that make sense? Oh, no. I mean, particularly in high school where you're seeing the same people every day, you're naturally going to form some kind of friendship with people just because you see them all the time. Sure. It, you're not choosing to spend time with them. You know <laughs> what I mean? Sure, yeah. Uh, and I would imagine on some level, like a lot of those people, you know, because they didn't share your same core interests, you probably just had more like, you know, maybe you you know, your second tier interest would be the more mainstream things that you could relate with, but sure. you were never really yourself. I don't mean, I don't know what I'm trying no, to say. You're absolutely right. You, know, no, you weren't I think really your yourself point around is, them. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you know, you can't, you can't show everything about you to everybody all the time. Right. Yeah. You know? And so certainly people would misconstrue. And like, I was into punk rock and metal back then really heavy. Yeah. Not so much physically, like, you know, my aesthetic wasn't so much that, right. but I was listening to it, sure. you know, as well as like, you know, all the stuff that my mom got me into, which is all the good stuff, like <laughs> old school country, like outlaw country and yeah. ABBA and Cher. Sure. Both awesome. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Cher is equally as awesome as Slayer. Right. Me. Sure. So just so you guys know. Well, I think that's a good way to look at it. I, I've come to a point where I just, respect success yeah. in a way where it's it, like yeah. even if it's not for me so at what point did you feel like you finally started finding people that you really jived with who understood when who I had similar LA. interests when, when you moved to LA, LA. okay yeah, I think and how old were you at that point uh 19 okay yeah so really all the way through grow your growing up years 
you know, you were, again, we are, I'm not trying to say you were on your own, but yeah. you just never had the people that really, really you, you totally identified. Fully. There was a few of them, yeah. right? There's always a handful of people right. that like, like get you for who you are right. and don't care about your idiosyncrasies. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, there's probably like one or two people in my life from that whole, that whole period that I still communicate with. And mm -hmm. it's because they're, they were always that good. Sure. They yeah. were always that kind of person, right. you know, so I'm right, glad right. they're still in my life. Everybody else has dropped off or died or whatever the fuck. But, right. um, yeah, it took until I moved to LA. Um, and cause you know, listen, Orange County back then was different. Well, it's actually, it's a lot the same, but it's more like where I was living in Huntington, it's more gentrified as everything is. Um, back then too, I mean, Orange County is super, super Caucasian. I mean, mm. As a whole, right. you know what I mean? Like, there's obviously a lot of, don't, don't take this too seriously. There's obviously all kinds of different people there, but it's, it's a pretty white area, yeah, right? You know, definitely. Caucasian. And it just, you know, moving from the East Coast there and stuff, like, I got it. I personally, although I am Caucasian, obviously I'm dark enough not to be Caucasian and light enough not to be, I don't know, I'm somewhere in the middle. Uh, and, um, it kind of worked for me, I guess, in a mm -hmm. weird kind of way, yeah. you know, yeah. in some kind of way. But again, I, I just didn't identify with the people in Huntington Beach at that time very much, you know. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of white power stuff going on down there at the time in the punk rock scene, you mm -hmm. know, because that's where I was. That's what I was a part of. Right. And I didn't dig that at all because it just yeah. seemed wrong. Like everything about it, even at that age, seemed wrong to me. And that must have been super frustrating because it's like this is the thing you are into and you are around people that I mean, the punk rock as a whole not that yeah. specific aspect of it okay. so it's like even the thing that you are drawn to yeah. there's a lot of aspects of it that you're not crazy about either yeah so then it's just like well ah. i think that's par for the course with everything that you do yeah, you know? yeah but true. back then again because it was like an analog era so to speak um you know it was sometimes scary going to these punk shows and stuff i had you had to find allies at punk shows i remember this guy named jack that worked for golden voice he was a bouncer and um He'd been around. Some of the older punk guys probably know who he was. And I was a little kid, you know. Yeah. But he would always protect me at these shows. So you'd go to the Olympic Auditorium, um, which was crazy in its own right. Like, the idea that my mom would let me drive from Orange County, or either sometimes drop me off, but go with, like, somebody's older brother, mm -hmm. to L.A., to the Olympic and Grand. And this is a time when, like, Olympic and Grand was fucking awful. I mean, there was drugs everywhere. All there was was a Burger King across the street. I mean, so you're like a, you know, 13 to, like, 16-year-old kid getting dropped off in downtown L.A. when it was desolate and just evil um, and going to these punk shows with thousands and thousands of general admission thing. It was the first place I ever saw some, like, people fucking like against a wall, <laughs> sure, you know, yeah. and the bathrooms were just an atrocity. Oh, I'm sure. You can just imagine. Yeah. You didn't even want to go in there because there was always like an inch of water and piss on oh, the floor and shit. Christ. But there's thousands and thousands of punks. Yeah. And you could do whatever you wanted back then because yeah. lawsuits weren't like as frivolous as they were. So you could climb up to the top of the speaker and people would catch you still. <laughs> and so you would run on stage and we'd stage dive and this whole kind of thing over the barrier. And it was always scary because there was always suicidals mm -hmm. and they were kind of scary. And like the Silmar crew, like, mm. you know, they're kind of like this, like, super Aryan kind of gangy fucking prison affiliated thing that I was just always super intimidated by. And then there was the skinhead faction, too. Yeah, there's a lot. You know, there was all these things, you know, and um, and they would fuck you up. And it was always a little bit scary, but I think that was part of the fun. Right. You sure. know, and part yeah, of the yeah. fun was like the danger of it all. Mm -hmm. But if I was a parent, fuck no, would I send my kid to fucking. <laughs> I just go and my mom sees this you have no idea like how just dangerous it was for us yeah so but you did a good job thank you mom <laughs> so uh was it around this time you said like 19 20 uh when you moved to LA yeah. when were you working as a busboy is that what it was oh that was no I, we have to digress to get oh, there okay. yeah right. no this is when I was living in Huntington Beach and it was like you know I was always drawing and trying to do things that would make me money that I didn't have to work for the man Sure. You know, because I've always drawn my whole life. Like, yeah. That's always my first love. Music's totally second. Needless to say, I'm doing this busboy job that I fucking hated. And uh, one day, excuse me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to burp. Oh, what do you I got? Am. There you go. Nice. Um, so this group comes in, and I recognize one of the people in the group as a friend of my neighbor. Okay. All right. Now, my neighbor, this, you know, woman and couple or whatever, was friends with my mom. They lived literally right next door to us. And, um, and as a busboy, you know, your job is just to like bring out waters and juices and all the kind of like preliminary stuff that they, they require. And then I'll be around the table to take the stuff off when they don't need it and then clear it off and whatever. It's a pretty yeah. fucking thankless job. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I was shitty at it. 
<laughs> I was shitty at it for multiple reasons. A, I shouldn't be doing something like that because it's not my fucking, not my wheelhouse, really. Yeah. B, I didn't want to be doing it. And C, I wasn't thinking ahead. You know what I mean? Okay. I was just a kid. Yeah, I was probably 15 at the time, maybe. Yeah. You know, at the most. So I walk up to this table. Now, the woman that came in, she was really uptight. I always never really liked her. She, and she was always judgmental of me. She was one of, you know, and I, I've, that's, that's been a reoccurring kind of theme throughout my life with people who, like, see me for the aesthetic and the vibe of what I'm doing and the drawings that I do and this kind of thing. And they just think I'm a shitty person without right. me talking to me. Oh, definitely. They just think I'm Satan, which is right. fine. Yeah. It really cuts down the bullshit factor. <laughs> Um, but, uh, so this lady didn't really care for me, but I was nice to her and she was nice to me. And so the, what happened, it makes it even exacerbates things further. So I had this fucking big old tray, like a, almost like a two handed tray kind of thing of like creamer, milks, iced teas, fucking countless waters, mm -hmm. any number of things, nothing at coffees, some things that were hot, mm -hmm. you know, tea probably. And as I'm taking things off the tray, it's all coming off the left side of the tray. You see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> so when I get it now, okay, let me, let me uh, step back on the story. Now this woman, let's see, how can I say it? And say it in the nicest way possible. She was full figured. Okay. Sure. Right? Rotund. Yeah. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's nice, right? Yeah. And, um, and she had what I can only equate to a sky blue muumuu on over her kind of Michelin man body. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is just like, if you know what that is, it's just like a neck thing and it's just like one giant piece that goes down and it's kind of light cotton. Right. You know? She also had like a m enormous flapjack titties. <laughs> okay. All right. right? Yeah. So yeah, this is a part, it's a, it's a crucial part of the story. It's sure. a component. Yes. So if you could imagine a pretty big woman who's not short, rotund. Yes. Pale blue, moo moo. <laughs> Big old flapjack titties. I mean, like maple syrup and butter kind of flapjack titties. Just sure. delicious. Yes. Log cabin. And I fucking spilled three quarters of the tray on her. Oh. On her. So uh. here's why it's even worse. Uh. Because when the water and milk went onto her fucking whole front, she didn't have a fucking bra on. Oh, dear God. So her big old fucking <laughs> flapjack titties were like silver dollar areolas peeping through. I mean, she was like mortified. She didn't know what to do. She was shaking and mad at me. You yeah. know, everybody at the table was like, fuck, I don't even remember making eye contact with anybody. Sure, like, no, I, I, I would I kind of almost forgot like what happened after that because yeah. I was like so fucking mortified by the whole thing. And, um, and like, I honestly don't, I, you know what? I left. That's what, <laughs> that was the day I quit. I fucking bailed. Like, they went, they asked me to go and bring somebody in and they fucking apologized and comp the meal and all this kind of stuff and it cost them a bunch of money at the Stallion restaurant. And I remember, that's right, I fucking, I walked out the door and just, ne I never called, I never did anything. That was like literally my last fucking day on site. And I just dedicated myself to art um, after that. I was like, you know what? This shit ain't for me, you know. Out with a bag. <laughs> that was it. That was the end. It was fucking. I get it, it because when you, it's a job you hate, the last thing you want to do is feel shitty about something that happened at a job that you don't want to have any feelings towards one way or the other. Anyway. Absolutely. It was just like this is it. I'm done. I never wanted to see that lady again either. You know what I mean? And she was a friend of your neighbor's. So did you yeah. see her again? I don't recall seeing her. Oh, again. thank God. I, I don't. I, mean, I, I may have. It might have just been eliminated from my mind. Sure. Because a lot's happened since then. Sure. But I mean, what, what really sticks in my mind though is. How that sky blue mumu right. stuck to her fucking Michelin body. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like it was like just stuck, and st I don't know. This is awful. Like everything about it was awful. And I remember seeing her giant fucking areolas through like the light blue of the deal. And I remember being like just grossed out by it and yeah. tripped out, and just yeah. everything about it was awful. Like I'm still obviously seriously fucked up from that situation. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that was just, that was my, that was a precursor to understanding that I need to dedicate myself to art yeah. and or music or right. creative things for the rest of my life as opposed to working for the man. Sure. That just solidified that factor further. So was know? that the last time you worked for the man? Because um, at 19, I imagine it would be, or, you know, 16, 16, 15, 16 yeah. you know, I mean, I imagine it would be hard to make a living. Yeah just doing art no, at that age. It, it, it was, and I had to end up, like when I moved to LA, say, uh, for instance, when I was, um, like I didn't have a car or nothing, you yeah. know, I was riding a bicycle and a skateboard at that time, yeah. you know, because it was, I just couldn't afford it. So I was living in a punk rock house, you know, right. two, on two different occasions. And um, 
you know, it was just one of those things where uh, it was just it was just a, an interesting situation overall. But yeah, you can't. What did I work? I'm trying to think what the name of the fucking place was. Robert Wayne Shoes. I worked at a shoe place okay. for a short amount of time. I worked at Aaron Brothers Art Mart. Oh yeah. You know, if I tell you this little aspect of things, you might think I'm a shitty person, but. I had a little fucking scheme going on at Aaron Brothers back then because they didn't really have a bunch of cameras and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, what'd you do? So my friends would come in and they would buy art supplies mm -hmm. and I would ring them up, but not all of them. Yeah. And then they would grab what they wanted and I wanted, like airbrushes and stuff like that. And I would do it all, but only like half of it. Sure. And then they would like hook me up with the stuff when I left. Nice. It's a shitty thing to do. I wouldn't do that now, but yeah, I just, sure. just for full disclosure, <laughs> I fucking pulled a scam on Aaron Brothers. I had the best art supplies and the best airbrushes ever, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm not proud of this, ladies and hey, gentlemen. Hey, man, I worked at uh, Kroger, the okay. grocery store, right. uh, when I was in... Uh, it's still, I was 14. Oh, shit. And then I was 15 when I was a cashier, which in hindsight, it's so funny that they trust 15 year olds with they that shouldn't. amount of cash. They shouldn't uh, trust I never them. stole any money. Yeah. But what I would do is on my break, I would just walk through the aisles and just grab whatever I wanted and take it to the break room and never pay for it. That's brilliant. Because I mean, it was just like, I was just waiting. It's the type of thing where it's like, if I got busted for it, oh, sorry, I wasn't thinking. I totally forgot to pay. Yeah. Yeah, there's always I'd a get a freebie. It's a reasonable excuse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I would do that all the time. There was times I would ring up people's... <laughs> I was a terrible... I, was, I had a similar thing where I wanted money, but I also didn't like being told what to do. Sure. So there was like one elderly man who I rang up all of his orders as if they were all apples. Oh. Like he was getting like bags of chips and everything else. Everything and was I just apples. did it as a scale. Uh, so his whole order was like... It, was just, it just said apples, the whole receipt. <laughs> Uh, it was probably a third of what he was. Oh yeah, it was. Pay. Yeah, it was yeah. gonna be. Yeah, and he was like senile and maybe blind. So I was just like, yeah, you know, it'll you cost gotta, him less. Yeah, but you got to help out people <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? And I printed off another receipt so I could keep it for myself. And it was just like, you apples. know, eighty items, and it was just apple, apple, apple. I love that, dude. <laughs> I love that story. That's great. It's the apple story. Yeah, you know? yeah, That's yeah. It was cool. the yeah, it was the apple story. Well, thank you for like validating the fact that I wasn't a total fucking like scheming bastard back then. You know? Oh, I was scheming all the time at that age. There was also a thing. A friend of mine introduced it to me, and I'm sure I've talked about it on the show. Um, but in high school, for like a year and a half, I didn't pay for any fast food. I oh, would I get it for free. So what I would do is go through a drive-thru and say, oh, I just came through an hour ago and got three burgers and two fries, but I only got two burgers and one fry. And then they just give me free food. No shit. Yeah. And it got to the point where I would have the bags for the different restaurants in my, uh, in my glove box. So I just pull out the proper bag and then put that next to uh, the passenger Dude, seat. That is fucking <laughs> brilliant. Because what, they don't give a shit. They're they don't. They're paid a bit of a wage. It's well above their fucking pay <laughs> They're like, grade. sure, whatever. whatever. Now, I got cocky and I went to like a Dairy Queen where fewer people are ordering okay. you know, burgers and stuff. A DQ? Yeah. Yeah. And so I went through and they were like, oh, well, pull ahead. We can look through our, uh, all the orders in the last hour. We'll find you. And then I, I was there, go. of course. I got to yeah. go, actually. So then I got all outraged after like five minutes. And I was like, how dare you? It was there. Ah! And then I just drove off. <laughs> but yeah, Stamp dude, I was scheming feet. all the time. You were like Rumpelstiltskin at that yeah. point, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it I came to the point where I was like, I don't, I wish that this hobby was a little healthier. <laughs> no shit, But it man. just got to the point where it was fun. To just, it tasted so much better at having not paid for it. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> Things know? taste a lot better when you get them for free. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. well, when you've schemed. Yeah, exactly. I was always, it took me you a know, while to That's a brilliant <laughs> plan that I am surprised that I never thought of. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Oh, you know, one way that I used to make money uh, in, in high school yeah. was um, I would make fake IDs for people by hand. By hand? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Back then, the, the driver's licenses had like kind of like a glaze on them. That's true. You know, yeah, they, they, they weren't. It wasn't the hard material either, was it? No, it, well, it was. It, it was hard. It was a plastic card, oh, okay. yeah. but there was like a coating on it. We'll yeah. say like an acrylic coating, hypothetically. Sure. And what I found was, if you hit that really hard with Aquanet hairspray mm. and make coats of it, yeah, it would um, like diminish. It, and you could scrape it off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I would scrape it off, age the ID, mm -hmm. and then with a fine tip paintbrush, I would paint the wow. numbers in. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? And then, and aging it means that, like, you know, you, you make it look like you, you put your, dri your driver's license through, like, the washing machine. Right, yeah, yeah, accidentally. yeah. Now, it wouldn't work all the time everywhere. Sure. But for these kids, it would work enough of the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's awesome. What and nice that, was my, that was my, like, little scheme in, in high school for a period of time. So how did you go from working these types of jobs you weren't happy with to making a living? Because you're a tattoo artist. Yeah. I mean, is that, 
Is that what brings in a lot of your living? Yeah. Or uh, do you have a tattoo shop? Do you have like uh, a... Tattooing is my primary income, but illustration and um, selling paintings is a really is a close second. Okay. You know, yeah. um, and that that's more and more what my focus is now. Really. So when did you find your footing doing those things? What it was was when I moved to L.A., I, I didn't intend to be a tattoo artist, but I didn't also... At that point, I just wanted to rock. Right. And I was just... I wanted to tour the country and, and Europe in a punk rock band or a yeah. metal band, and that's what I was doing. Yeah. And, um, and I just needed to get by until I could get that. And, you know, so I was living in a punk rock house and... Uh, and like I said, two different occasions. And I, I ended up um, going to help out Mark Mahoney's shop as a helper or an assistant, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And doing that, this, this was a long time ago in L.A., and um, a buddy of mine was doing it, and he didn't want to do it anymore. And he hit me up. He thought it would be good for me. And so I went to be an assistant there, but not with the intent to be a tattoo artist, just that I could work for somebody, make money, and then I could use that to fa to facilitate me rocking. You right, know? and it was in the it, you know it was there are obviously you're doing drawings on people, so yeah. I could see it's like okay this fits kind of in with what I want to do. Exactly, and this is, it was you know, a little yeah. bit like and one of the guys that um, the dude that I was kind of helping out was <laughs> I'm not going to get too much into him, but he was like a a Nazi Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> okay, quite a combo. <laughs> Totally. It's yeah. just, uh, there's nothing right about that. So you're, you're kind of, I mean, you know, he was in prison. He got a bunch of swastika tattoos on him and shit. He was like definitely a loose cannon kind of guy. I mean, I was well out of my element, you know, sure. a kid from Huntington Beach that, you know, I shot guns and stuff like that, but I wasn't around real gangsters. Right. And this dude was a fucking wayward cane for sure. <laughs> He's the kind of guy that the real, the smart gangster guys would pay to do crazy shit for them. So they wouldn't get busted. Right. This is a guy I'm fucking going to draw for. Great. Yeah, I know. My mom had no idea. Nobody did. Anyway, so he's, he's long out of my life. But I went there to just draw for him and clean the shop and clean the toilets and stuff like that and all the shit that you do. is really gross. And back then, um, you know, you, there was a lot that an assistant had to do because you didn't have all these companies that facilitated um, products that were already completed. So back then, we'd have to make needles. Mm. And so for every little needle configuration, we had to build them by hand. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was just the way it went back then. And uh, so I did a lot of that over the years. And that parlayed into an apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And that apprenticeship parlayed into me leaving and just going to tattoo on my own. Mm -hmm. And then that parlayed into me continuing painting and doing commissions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a few, you know, a few years ago, probably about five years ago, I really decided to put my foot down and that, uh, you know, I'm just not feeling writing music and things like that. As much as I love playing live, which who wouldn't? Yeah. On good shows, not sure. not shitty shows. There's a total fucking it's it's a it's a it's a power boost. Oh, it's a rush unlike anything. But without you know, with the exception of that, there's just nothing for me there. So my real focus over the last five or six years really has just been art, illustration, tattooing, yeah. and becoming better at that. Studying studying mm -hmm. with people on a regular basis, you know, right. reading books, all the kind of things that you do just to kind of like increase your power. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like Kobe in the off season. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Doing yeah. some stuff. Right. You know? As, what? As Tenacious D, learning the Texas two-step. <laughs> you know? Just a, couple, yeah. just a couple little things just to like, you know, revitalize what you're doing and stuff. So yeah. that's really what it was. It was just like, you know, ultimately it was the desire not to work for the man, mm. to be an entrepreneur, and, um, and live like your own best life, you know, doing kind of what you want to do more than what you have to do. And I've been really fortunate to be able to do that for my entire life. And a lot of people, and I don't take it for granted at all. I'm like absolutely extremely grateful. Mm -hmm. And I think in this day and age, and correct me if you think I'm off base, uh, people out there, I think you're a lot better off to be an entrepreneur then working with your head down for a company for the gold watch that you probably are never going to get. Right. Because there's, there's no value system in, in, in the world now. Mm -hmm. And there's no loyalty in that regard. You know, mm -hmm. I think if you're waiting for the gold watch, you know, you better go buy it yourself. Yeah. I guess my only caveat would be to know what it is that you want to do to be an entrepreneur. You yeah, know, like absolutely. what is the, don't quit the job and then be like, I'm just going to have my own business and not know like, what are you good at? What is the, you know what I mean? I yeah. think. I'm I think not suggesting that. And people. I know you're not, but I think that's just the caveat. No, that's, you're I know you're right. not saying that, but. One of the things though too, that a lot of people say that are uh, pretty savvy in business too, is that you got to be able to, you might have something that you love to do, but if you're not able to make it a profitable venture, right, then you need it. to work until you get to the place where you can make that a profitable right. venture. Now, that's pretty difficult at yeah. times, you know, to have that kind of fortitude to do that. Right. Last question. Yeah. Do you remember 
the first tattoo you gave somebody yeah. professionally. Yeah. Uh, Non-professionally, but I remember the sure. first piece. And what was going through your head? Uh, was there some nerves there? <laughs> A little bit, yeah. It's got to be some pressure. <laughs> got to be honest. So, like, um, in short form, the ta this is an interesting aspect of things that I'm, I'm going to try to make it short. The tattoo shop that I apprenticed at, I started working at, but only after the crazy asshole guy that I'm not going to name, because it's kind of like Valdemort. If you say the name, I feel like they come back around. Right. Um, he took over the shop by brute force on speed <gasps> with guns. Holy shit. Molotov cocktails and a crazy attitude. So without getting into the minutia of things, basically <laughs> he kicked the owner out, who was also having troubles of his own, which we don't need to get into. Okay. So he wasn't as on point as he would have been if he didn't have everything else going on for him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So this crazy asshole guy by force took the shop. And now I'm 20, 21 years old. Yeah. You know, 20 year old. And I was honestly intimidated by him because he was scary at 20. Yes. Like I, you know, I, like I mean, that sounds scary at any age. Yeah. He's a big giant dude that was just a, a total loose cannon. So um, he came to the shop the day. Like, so I was actually what happened was we didn't, me and this other cat didn't want to work there anymore if Mark wasn't going to be there. <laughs> and, but he told us that if we left the shop, that he was gonna fuck us up. And that you have to work for me because he gave me the opportunity to apprentice, so he felt that I owed him yeah. because of that. And um, so I was kind of stuck there and, and it was a really tough thing because I had a huge respect and love um, and loyalty towards the owner of the shop. Mm. And so this was really in my heart and mind a very difficult thing to do, but I was, actually I feared that I was gonna get beaten severely mm -hmm. if I didn't do this. And it was, the tattoo industry was totally different back then. Like what I had to do as an apprentice, I'm not even gonna get into, but it's shit that you could never get away from with now mm -hmm. because people would just sue you and you'd be fucked, you know? And um, so needless to say, um, man, this guy took that shot by force and uh, I had just met who, who would have been my wife at the time. <laughs> and, um, and we had just had lunch and I went back to the shop and this guy came in that day and said that he was going to burn the whole fucking place down. And he, he came in with a shotgun, all what fucking speeded fuck? out and shit like that, loaded. Fucking uh, a bottle like a little, with a rag in it and shit like that. He said he was going to burn the place down and he was going all nutty and shit. I called my future wife and was like, can you come back and pick me up right now? Right now. My future wife, I put everything in a box. My future wife was sitting with... Uh, Justin Warfield, I don't know if you know, but she's been friends with him for a long time. He's, he's a guy that ultimately sang for and created She Wants Revenge. Or, ah. Yeah, She Wants Revenge, the mm -hmm. band. Same dude. Right? Oh, nice, yeah. super nice person. We've known him forever now. But he was like, I don't know if you should be dating this guy. <laughs> yeah. Totally justified. Yes. Completely yes. justified. Yes. Uh, you know, obviously things went pretty good because we're still married. Everything's cool all these years later. But um, that went on. And um, that was like... Fuck. That was kind of an interesting scenario in terms of like how my career was going to go then because I left that shop and didn't have anything going on. Mm -hmm. I just had a bare minimum of tattoo equipment. And um, like very within a couple of days, to answer your question, my buddy, I was lucky back then because like within my clique of like punk rock people in that group, like back then, not everybody was tattooing. Mm -hmm. Like it was not a sought after job mm -hmm. or your vocation. It was kind of like you were on the fray. And that's what I liked about it too, sure. right? It was super underground. No, I mean, most of those people didn't pay taxes for decades, you know? <laughs> yeah. And um, so my friend Pete, like I was lucky, I never tattooed on myself first. Mm. I literally like tried for the very first time on a friend named Pete, and it was the shittiest design. It was like a, a three-prong black kind of, uh, what is that up? Like Poseidon's, what is his little thing called again? Oh, the... Uh, trident. 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 That's yeah. thank you. Trident. It was kind of a trident-looking thing with like a skull on the bottom mm -hmm. and just flat, solid black, like almost like a tribal skull. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty, like it was pretty shitty. Yeah. Like if I think back, but like we were all happy with it at the time. Yeah, you know, yeah that's all stuff. that matters. So that was my actual very first tattoo, you mm -hmm. know. And they had wanted me to apprentice for like two years, and I, I started like eleven months into the game because. I don't know. It was just so loosely managed, the whole shop right. and the whole thing, everything about it. You know what yeah. I mean? With the drugs and the... And, and the yeah, it sounds like the fucking Wild gang. West. It was, it yeah. was the Wild West. All kinds of... You know, at that same shop, they filmed True Romance. That scene uh -huh. 
um, when she gets um, Alabama on her. Mm -hmm. Mark Mahoney actually drew that little banner and, oh, wow. and the whole bit. And Tony Scott and all those people were there at the shop. Wow. One of my buddies at the time that was a punk rock guy was in that scene as the apprentice at the shop. All this kind of stuff. There were a lot of really cool stuff happened there too. Right. Leif Garrett, you know who that guy yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He broke the Shamrock sign and got kicked out of Shamrock because <laughs> he was all hammered. Like it was a special like neon Shamrock, Shamrock thing. Wow. He got fucking yelled at. Everybody was really disappointed with him. He broke the fucking Shamrock sign. Dude, that's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sacrilegious. Like, totally sacrilegious, yeah. man. So yeah, that was my first piece and that was my first experience. Um, and to end that whole thing, um, I bought a shotgun so stupid from this guy the crazy asshole guy <laughs> all right i bought a, I bought a 12 gauge from him uh and uh I, and I, it was two hundred dollars yeah and i had paid him a hundred dollars for it and i owed him a hundred dollars and that's totally on me and i left that shop owing him a hundred dollars mm -hmm. right because i we were just getting out he was right. the fucking place down and i got pneumonia and i was stuck on the punk rock couch at this punk rock house for easy two weeks with pneumonia like for real sh yeah. scary shit so like, you know, maybe three weeks have gone by since I split the shop and haven't talked to dude. Well, one night when I'm just about like on the end of this pneumonia thing, but I must've looked like death. I'm in the punk rock house and it's like me and Carla and a few other people that were involved in this house. And we get a knock, fucking like a cop knock on the door. And I open the door and who fucking is it but fucking Valdemort. Yeah. And he's got, he's like, where the fuck's my hundred bucks? Where the fuck have you been? Kind of attitude. Yeah. And I'm like, I was gonna ask. Look this. at me. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean, I must look like death. I've had right. pneumonia for fucking over 14 days. You know where my fucking house is. You know where to fucking find me. This is we didn't have cell phones back then. So. Right. Um, and he's like, "Where's the fucking shotgun?" And he's like, "You better get it right now," because he had a gun. Yeah. He had a pistol. And he had <laughs> his buddy outside, and he was still on speed and freaked out. And so he um, made me go get the gun. Gave him the gun. He fucking. Then pointed the fucking shotgun at us because we were all like standing here, you know, and it's got a hairpin trigger, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you ever shot an old school 12 gauge like Remington, but if with the safety's off, it doesn't take much pressure for that gun to go off. And there was buckshot in it because I put it in buckshot in it specifically. So I was fucking scared as shit that the yeah. shotgun was going to go off in our face. Yeah. He's like, give me all the tattoo shit that you apprenticed for. I'm taking that stuff. So he took the machines that I got from apprenticing, the power supply and whatever ink I had. He took it all for that hundred bucks that I owed him. And he took it at gunpoint and slammed the door, you know? And I was like super sad. Like it just, it fucking broke me. And um, the, the shining light from that whole thing was, my brother was alive at the time then. And, um, and he bought me, like I was, I didn't know what I was gonna do. I didn't have anything. Like I had no job and I had no equipment. Right. And he bought me a, a coastal machine so I could tattoo, you know, at a time when $150 was it might as well have been like 150,000 or a million. Mm. You know what I mean? Like mm. even 20 bucks was hard to come by at that time yeah. for us, you know? Um, and so he got me that machine and he changed my life as a result of doing so. You That's know awesome. I mean? I'll That's always amazing. be grateful that, that, he, that he did that for me. Um, wow. That was, it's crazy. I know. Isn't that a nutty story? Did you ever see that guy again, the shotgun guy? I did. did Do you want to hear what happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, I don't, Again, we don't say his name because he can come around. Sure. And he's a crazy, crazy asshole. But I understand if my, my, to give you like the finality of it all, I believe that he got institutionalized never to get out. Mm. Not, not prison, but literally crazy fucking ward, right? I mean, Seems like warranted. granted, like this guy stabbed somebody at 18 in, in La Mirada. Mm. He was already notorious for being a crazy asshole. And it, it wouldn't have mattered. I mean, he, he came from a crazy asshole family. Like, I, I met his dad, mm. and his dad was scarier than he was. Mm. So, when, you know what I mean? When you've got a crazy asshole dad, you're going to be a crazy asshole kid, yep. you know? Without a doubt. And um, so years later, many, many years later, now he, and he was a pretty big guy. He was about like 6'4", and kind of just kind of big and fat, but scary. And um, so I was probably like, I don't know, like late 20s, early 30s? Okay. No, I think early 30s. Yeah. And uh, they hired us to... Um, play at ink and iron in long beach okay it was a festival that they used to have yeah like I, you know i was tattooing there and they hired us to play and um there was this guy named ralphie back in the day who was a really cool cat and um and i ran into him there and i always liked him he was friends with this dude you know but i always liked him even and, and he was an interesting cat too because everybody down there everybody around that clique were kind of gangstery at the time mm -hmm. and they would always get in fights and shit and it was tough and it was kind of that tough guy scene and bit and that wasn't really my vibe but 
I could pal around with those people. They liked me enough and stuff like yeah. that and not really get in trouble, you know? And um, so I'm talking to Ralphie and this group of people and I get a fucking tap on the shoulder, like this kind of thing. And like my nature is to like with a, hey, how you doing? Right. You know, and turn my around nature. around saying that. Oh, my, yeah, my, my nature right away was like a positive thing. Like, you know, so I turn around like kind of smiley and put my hand out and it's fucking homeboy. Oh boy. Dude, and so I'm like, hey. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your face, the expression changed on a dime. I don't have a poker face at all. <laughs> no. So you read me easy. And uh, I pull my hand away and he's like, oh, it's like that, huh? Yes. And I like go, and like, I'm like almost, I'm like just almost beside myself. I'm like, yeah, man. I go, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but yeah, you had me at shotgun gunpoint about 15 years ago and you took all my shit. It's totally so it like, like that. that. Yeah. Now, the thing was too, I wasn't intimidated at this point anymore. Right. You know, dude had a cane. He had like a knee fucking brace on and shit like that. Like he was, his knees were all fucked So life up. caught up to him. Life yeah. totally caught up to him from drugs and just being an asshole and doing the shit that he was. So my first thing was like, the first thing I did was assess what I'm going to do right. if this gets escalated. And I was just going to step into his knees and put him on the ground instantly. Yeah. There's nothing he could have done and mm -hmm. it would have taken him out for life. But um, I'm not trying, I'm not there to get in a fight. No. I'm there to have a good fucking time. So right. he's like, oh, it's like that, huh? He's like, well, hey, we can squash this right now. Let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, I go, dude. And you know what? He's there with his kid. Oh my God. He's probably like I don't know how old he is now, uh, whatever. But he was like old enough to like fourteen or something, like old yeah. enough to know better. And I go, man, you haven't changed a bit. I go, you're standing here with your kid and you're asking me to fight. I go, look at you. I go, what is wrong with you? I go, I'm not into this, dude. I'm out of here. You're a ghost to me. And I just fucking walked away. And I go, Ralphie, I don't want to see this guy again. Yeah. And that, you know, and that was the end of it. I've and then after that is when I heard he got institutionalized. And listen, things catch up with you, man. You can't be an asshole your whole life and think that, you know. Even if you're a sociopath and you have no feelings for things, something will circle back around. Yes. I don't believe, and you may not know, you may not think of it as a negative thing. So when someone says to me, do you think people pay for their shitty actions? I'll say no. There's plenty of people that are extremely successful, that are extreme sociopaths, and they never actually pay for any of their crimes mm -hmm. or anything like yeah. that. But, and they don't know the difference because as a sociopath, you don't have any feelings really, you know? Mm -hmm. But I still think that in spite of them not being able to navigate that, things still come around. Oh, like definitely. The fact that this dude was kind of semi-crippled at that point yep. and fucking institutionalized forever and he might, might even be dead now. Yeah. I think that's bad enough whether he realized it or not. So after the, the shotgun thing, I mean, did you live, was there some fear for a while there? Just like kind of looking over your shoulder like oh. this guy could come back anytime? Yeah, yeah, there was. Oh, there had to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I felt like we squashed it in the regard that like he got right. his $100 worth of shit. You know, and I, I mean, honestly, like probably... I don't even know how much that stuff was worth. It was a really shitty power pack. It was shitty sure. fucking ink. The machine was pretty weak. You know what I mean? Like maybe $100 worth of shit or whatever. I don't mm. even know. But, um, but at that point, I figured that we were fucking even. At least yeah. in my head. Or at least I right. hoped that we were. Right. And yeah, for a long time, I didn't want to see that dude. And it was really kind of freaky for me until I got old enough to where I was like, well, fuck, if I'm going to die from something like this, then fucking let it be. But I'm not going to succumb to being fucking freaked out by this guy anymore because right. it doesn't scare me anymore. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, see, I see clearly what's happening. And although I don't want an altercation, I don't want to hurt my hands, I don't want to be stabbed, I don't want anything because we're both going to get hurt if this goes down because I'm a very peaceful human. But again, you, know, you have to assess the situation and realize like, how you're going to get out of it. Right. And that was, I just kind of was like, okay, the only way I'm going to get out of this is by fucking stepping into his knees. Yeah. But right. it never had to happen. I'm fucking Well, stoked. there you go. And that's I'm awesome. Super grateful. Yeah. Wow. That's a crazy story. Dude, I've got a yeah. million of them. I'm sure you do, man. You know? So I'll have to have you on again sometime. Decades. To, Decades to... of stories. Listen, thank you for making this full moon Friday the 13th yeah. thing happen. Oh, absolutely. This yeah. is great. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Social stuff? media. HalloweenTattoos.com. Mm -hmm. Halloween Tattoos at Instagram. Um... Uh, Facebook too, yeah. and on uh, Twitter it's Sean Comma. Great, you know, and that, that's that's about the long and the short of it. I mean, have a lot of cool stuff coming up. What I also wanted to do is just let you guys know real quick, and I'll put this uh, here or something wherever it is. Uh, we have a huge art show that I'm curating and creating with uh, my buddy Dirk Berman in Las Vegas. Oh, cool! On Saturday, October fifth. Okay. And there's about like uh, 30, 35 plus artists. 
Um, it's sponsored by Vita Tequila and um, Deep Eddie Vodka. And then we have a whole list of, you know, sponsors, Zia Records, Evil Pie, Cash for Chaos, Sullen Art Collective, Eternal Ink. All of my, most of my tattoo sponsors are involved. Um, and we're really excited. It's the 20th anniversary of Pussycat Tattoo, my, my friend's shop. Um, and uh, that's a place that I've been tattooing at since it opened. Oh, wow. Since before it was open, actually. Yeah. We were tattooing in the spot before it was even called that. Mm -hmm. So it's been like 20 years of tattooing. Wow. You know, which okay. is fucking crazy yeah, yeah. to think that. Um, and that kind of also answers your question. I don't have a full-time shop because I do appointment only. But I do work a couple nights a week at Hart and Huntington in Las Vegas. And then I run around nationally all year doing this at conventions and horror cons. And also stop into other people's shops and whatnot. And then in Vegas, uh, you know, I bring my clientele to Pussycat mostly, which is where we're doing this amazing show Very um, cool. on October 5th. So it's free. It's all ages. You can come out if you'd like to. And that evening, we also have a rock and roll event at the Double Down, which is just around the corner. We're affiliated with them directly. And uh, we got Channel 3 from Cerritos, one of my favorite punk rock bands as a kid, to play. So that's kind of... It's cathartic to me. You yeah, know, in that regard. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's got to feel really cool. It's going to be fun. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I'm just glad I just wanted to throw that out there to everybody. And, yeah. Um, I wanted to thank you for the time. I mean, oh, it's of always course. fun. Yeah. No, like, I, I just yeah. fucking, like, I would do this even if it wasn't filming and just come sure. up and visit you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What was your little girl's name again? Penny. <laughs> He's got the cutest little Yorkie. She's like <laughs> super aggressive, but the sweetest one in the world. Like, I bonded with her. Yeah, you did. You got past the I hate you phase. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love her now. She's the cutest little dog in the world. Thank you for the Absolutely, time. man. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, you guys. Stay haunted. Stay creepy at home. That was the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I absolutely know that I did. It was great talking with Sean. Uh, just a reminder, it's the art show in rock and roll at Pussycat Tattoo Parlor. That's the event that Sean was talking about. It is Saturday, October 5th in Vegas. Um, bunch of really cool stuff going on there. So I put a link in the description to that event. If you are interested, check that out. Uh, thanks again, Sean, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, five stars on Apple Podcasts, please, please, please. And uh, until next Wednesday, keep laughing. <laughs>